0: Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, we have a great guest for you. Her name is Catherine Van Fono. She is the president and CEO of 24-7 VA. Catherine founded the company nearly just on 10 years ago now. She has grown this company herself into a really significant outsourcing firm with about 300 virtual assistants, but also these virtual assistants, they do everything from bookkeeping to content to marketing. So it's really a offshore staffing agency. Catherine has a vast experience in corporate and academe and then started this company out of scratching her own itch, which is so common. We see that so commonly and of course we hear her story as well. Really interesting conversation. We talk about Catherine's experience of outsourcing on the ground in US and how the US small business owners are responding to outsourcing and how it now seems to be changing. So really great conversation and podcast with Catherine. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside Outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Catherine, we were talking before the show, and you said that uh, you started one of your businesses because you were raising four kids. You were working from home, and that was not wanting to to date you at all. But that was a long time ago. What? How did you evolve? professionally and as a career that sort of led you into the remote work and working from home paradigm?
1: Yeah, sure. So I graduated from Virginia Tech here in the U.S. with a PhD in educational research and statistics and somehow wound up landing a job with Blue Cross Blue Shield Association, which is an international company. I was an epidemiologist for them uh, I worked for them for ten years. During that ten-year span, I, yeah, you know, somehow got pregnant four times. I don't quite understand it, but you know, it is an act of mother nature, I guess. And when my youngest was one year old, I looked at my husband and I said, "I really want to be home with the kids. I want to be the Girl Scout troop mom. I want to be the the soccer mom. I want to be the classroom mom." And so. I retired from the corporate world and I was a little nervous about that. So I started a a company with my husband called Van Vano Industries and I continued to consult for a while working at home with some clients that I had made, made acquaintance with, you know, with while I was uh, in the corporate environment. And that business sort of transitioned as those clients left. I sort of transitioned into my husband's companies, and he was a serial entrepreneur; it still is, but in the real estate construction space. And so, you know, as he and developed, I, I don't
0: want to build your own origin story, but is yeah. you know, um, remote hasn't always been a thing, you know, and kind of uh, a few years ago, it was considered quite. Freakish, wasn't it? And how were you? How did you find that transition to a sort of remote work environment? And is that the sort of how you built out the subsequent businesses?
1: Yeah, it is. So, working, you know, I was remote. And so I just sort of felt just this leaning towards, you know, well, I can hire remotely. So, back, and this was back in the early. 2000s. I'm Mm -hmm. talking about like maybe 2004, 2005. So I started to fill positions in my husband's company. I said, let's look at Elance. Let's look at Odesk. This is before Upwork had combined. So we started hiring off of these platforms for, you know, we needed an online presence, so website development, things that I knew that could be done remotely. And that's, that's what evolved into the concept of my current company, 24-7 VA, where I saw the value in hiring remotely, not the value in the cost savings because local labor rates in other countries were lower than here in the U.S., but also because I could find the skill set that I was looking for. So, you know, not being confined by my local labor market, I could find the best talent to help us with different business needs that we had. So remote work just became just commonplace to me. And so that was the start of 24-7 where I wanted to bring that concept to other small businesses. Where you didn't necessarily have to go and go to these talent marketplaces yourself and go through all of the learnings that I had to go through, but um, that I would bring that to a small business. I would do all of that upfront vetting and searching and bring them talented, vetted workers. And people, could-
0: people take it for granted, don't they? But it's actually, you know, 20 years ago, and it's not that long ago, but. but- kind of email even email wasn't really as big a thing as it was and people were still talking about one day we'll have paperless offices and things like that it's you know and I I listened to an interview from the Elance founder that eventually then became Upwork and Uh he said when they started the biggest hurdle was actually convincing people that you know you get what you interact with people over the internet and that is kind of possible that there's actually real people out there that can do work over the internet. So it's incredible over this 20 year period, and you have sort of not only seen it, but you've, you've been at the kind of helm of that, how things have so dramatically changed. Yeah. It's incredible.
1: It's incredible. Well, globalization happened with the rise of the internet Uh, when that hit, I mean, it just opened up such opportunity for, for looking beyond your borders for Mm -hmm. anything. And just information sharing. But with the pandemic, for, for me, the beginnings of 20, 2014 to 2019 was more building awareness to small businesses here in the U.S. that this really was a, a viable staffing model. The, we started in 2014 as a niche company where we were really focused on the e-commerce industry because e-commerce business owners were used to working remotely and communicating remotely with their customers. So hiring someone remotely seemed to be a natural fit for them. So that's where we started. But when COVID hit, it expanded just awareness to a level that I I couldn't even believe where it transitioned to with remote work becoming normalized for businesses across America and the communication tools and the productivity tools that, res- that that came arose as a result of the pandemic so
0: it's um, true that there's so many factors here, and, and as you say all the tools it's just becoming more normalized all of the culture now is around sort of online thing you have all of the tools the internet's getting faster of course and then you have all the sort of millennials gen z's and they they're just completely digital native and oh and actually, absolutely that you know, they couldn't sort of what they just wouldn't be able to fathom how we ever existed without Mm -hmm. internet without email you know when it was back in faxes and memos and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. yeah incredible incredible journey the you mentioned the tipping point of COVID it certainly helped Like I I always talk about a tipping point I think when about 30% of businesses and that's every business like the sort of the, the SMEs and As soon as 30% outsource, I think it will hit a tipping point and then everyone will outsource because business owners know other business owners. They all talk. At the moment, I still think it's still on that borderline. It's still a little bit fringe. Not everyone does it. People look down on it a little bit. But it's not far away when everyone, and especially as the kind of millennials, Gen Zs become the hiring managers, the entrepreneurs, the owners, um, Mm -hmm. it's just going to become default, isn't it? That people hire globally based on capability as opposed to their local catchment
1: yeah absolutely not yeah flexibility and scalability too i mean the fact that especially small businesses need to be able to scale up or down and hiring on-site employees it's very difficult right because you build connections and and with those employees and you letting them go because business gets a little slower during one period is not something that a small business owner really wants to do. So having that flexibility, you're right, having the access to that global talent pool where you're hiring really the best person for the role versus what you what you have in your local community. It's just making... And that right now with the challenges that the U.S. is facing with the workforce at an event I was at just last week, they were talking about that it's probably next to being able to get financial capital, the next best pressing issue that small businesses are facing, and that's the, the workforce. Not only is it getting smaller and smaller here in the U.S., so if you look at a graphic from high school to kindergarten, that graphic is a downward trend. So each enrollment right. class. Well, it's all is the getting negative
0: s- birth rate, isn't it? Like it's just not the yeah, plan. And it, then people it, are retiring it, early, people are getting sick.
1: That's right. That's the participation and de- workforce participation ever since COVID, due to health reasons, due to early retirement, due to unemployment benefits here in the US. So the workforce has declined post-pandemic versus pre-pandemic. And then also on top of that, you have this smaller and smaller. Workforce coming through the pipeline. What's the solution? That's really the question. And so what's on a lot of policymakers minds right now is legal immigration. How can we streamline legal immigration? But um, because the world is becoming so, so global, people don't want to leave their home countries to come to America to work when they can stay in their home countries, stay with their families and get a good paying job. With an American company,
0: and it's so politically charged, isn't it? And you know, this this labor migration has always been controlled. Mm -hmm. You know, thousands of years ago, even two thousand years ago, when London was run by the Romans, they kept non-Londoners outside of the city, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's always been controlled. And you could with the borders and labor migration, but now the countries are borderless because you can have economic. You can have people sitting in the Philippines, sitting in India, contributing to the US economy online. And there's no way that can be policed, can't be monitored, can't be kept. It's a fast and that's only happened really functionally in the last 10 years, isn't it? And yeah. I think people yep. now are just catching on. And it's incredible. I think it's an incredible opportunity for everyone.
1: Yeah, they're just catching on. And I, I'm participating, I participate on the National Small Business Association here on their leadership council. And trying to advocate this as a solution for our labor shortage here in the US. So, you know, the government How are you getting hasn't getting on with quite,
0: that, though, because <laughs> why, why they is quite outsourcing? on yet. I mean, it's so politically charged. And look, I understand because, you know, like, you know, the US is sort of obviously highly, highly affluent, but so many people are doing it hard in the US aren't they small businesses most of them struggle to make a profit you're heading into recession there's the labor shortage you know inflation's going crazy people are doing it really really hard and yet there's this opportunity to get sort of good staffing at cheaper prices yet there's so much resistance to it and we do a lot of advertising into the US and we get so much backlash they say some people say it's terrorism, some people say it's slave labor, some people say we're traitors. It's it's so charged. So you're on the ground there. How how do you see it? What does the typical business owner think now about outsourcing?
1: Yeah, it's it's hard because right now everything here, especially with small businesses, not enterprise level, but you know the mom and pop businesses are very american focus so american made american jobs uh, but the businesses that are adapting and are surviving in this time are realizing that even if you offshore jobs to world world populations outside of the united states you're able that's enabling them to scale their business and they're driving more money into our economy they're driving it in the way of marketing dollars into our economy for higher level positions, staffing positions in their company. So I think the businesses that are catching on are the ones that are gonna survive long-term. The ones that deny this are gonna have a really hard time looking into the future. And so I'm doing everything I can to just spread the, and that's why I, I know that we were talking about this at the beginning, but not prior to we started recording. I've just been, our company just received an award from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce as one of the the 70 honorees that for American top small business. And when I went to the event and went to the organizers and I said, I can't, you know, we never thought that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce would recognize a business Mm -hmm. model like ours and they said, we're looking for solutions, that small businesses right. in America are suffering, and we need solutions, and we see your company as a solution. So the fact that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is recognizing offshore staffing as a solution is a huge step forward.
0: And try and um, shine a bit of a light on it, yeah. Oh, and it
1: absolutely. Is, it's,
0: it's, it is the changing tide, isn't it? These little steps are all movements towards yeah. it becoming more accepted then normalized then default but what do you you know because i think everyone that gets into outsourcing in the business side like sees the power of outsourcing and then they sort of say to themselves this is a no-brainer it's going to be so easy to sell and then they get out there and there's so much resistance to it or the business owners the clients they don't see it as a priority it's more of a vitamin as opposed to a painkiller and i 10, 15 years ago, I'm like, I can't believe that every business doesn't at least outsource or offshore some of their staff. And yet, mm-hmm. still so many don't. Like, what is it? Is it the resist? Is it resistance? Or is it people aren't quite aware of it yet? Or they've heard of it, but they don't really think that it applies to them? Or what are you seeing on the ground in terms of why isn't every single business? Offshoring, and it could even be the plumber. Like, why aren't they getting their bookkeeping done offshore? I
1: well, I think it's the concerns. So, it's the language differences, the time zone differences. Data security is what I'm hearing from a lot of clients. You know, how can we be sure that the data that they have access to is secure, especially in our type of model that's a home based model versus a center based model? You know, and and then just the cultural differences, you know, differences in holidays. So it's all those little things that I think a small business owner just can't sort of it's they have to get past that. And we try as an agency. That's what we try to do. We try to provide the structure to get them past that initial, you know, (laughs) that initial wave of. Apprehension about is this really going to work? But but yeah, I think it's those data communication, data security, and cultural issues.
0: Right. You know. Can you
1: know? Yeah. Go
0: ahead. it, It is. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, and the security thing comes up all the time. And what I find amazing is it's just a sort of them and us distrust, which is look, that's like a primal thing. So you you can't dismiss it, but. The, if you ask a business owner, you know, what is the security like with your existing staff on site? And they would typically have zero security protocols in place. And yet when they hire anyone overseas, they expect it to be like Fort Knox and, you know, put in all these things. And it's like, well, you know, it's, so there's, I, s- I suppose, a spectrum to everything, isn't it? But you can't just dismiss these things but also what i find amazing is if you can save 70 to 80 percent on your staffing costs which is one of your biggest costs of, of any business then mm-hmm. these things aren't insurmountable you should dedicate some time to look into it but that people just aren't that they don't see it as that urgent yet do they uh,
1: some of them don't No. so so we've re- we've really been focused on awareness building awareness we just we just put up, uh, we're moving to billboard campaigns. So, you know, driving down the wow. highway and just educating people with billboard campaigns. And But that's what it's all about. It's grassroots advertising. It's grassroots education. And But we're seeing the tide change. I'm telling you, from 2014 to now, it's a marked difference in mm-hmm. terms of the acceptance of offshore staffing with American small businesses. Offshore staffing has been a thing with enterprise-level businesses you know, since the 1990s, when that's when India and the Philippines sort of just exploded with enterprise-level companies. And that was my thought in 2014, is I want to bring that to the small business community. I want to give them the opportunities that just Fortune 500 companies have had for so long and the advantages of offshoring so, yeah, I mean, it's changing slowly, but the tides are turning.
0: It is funny, isn't it? Because you never want to be too early to a party. And, you know, you were early. You were one of those pioneers for the SMEs. And, you know, it sounds so obvious now, but if you're too early back then, you you just get sort of thrown abuse at and, and people sort of don't believe you. And it's really hard to get clients. It, there's a sweet spot about not being too early, but waiting for the market to be right, you know?
1: Yeah, well, it's expanded. I can tell you, and this is something that I think our industry needs. And maybe with your leadership, we, you know, we might be able to get something like this, but we need sort of a credentialing system for companies. Because I'm telling you, I was one of a handful of companies that I knew about that were doing this back then. There are so many companies that are popping into this space. And, and what I fear is that They may set a bad tone because they may not be as in the game as I am or well-versed in the security protocols or other things. And so we really need a credentialing mechanism for companies to give the consumer a way of navigating it because it's crazy right now. You know, not talking about the large BPOs, but just smaller companies like mine that are staffing agencies. There's just too many uh, you know, yeah. If I was a consumer, a customer now searching, I'd be confused.
0: Absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, we list about two and a half thousand on our website and there's very yeah. low barriers to entry. There's low barriers to starting, but it's very high barriers to doing this properly and providing a yeah. good service and being in the game as you have 10 years. There's there's very high barriers to, to doing this properly. And unfortunately, the okay. This, the consumer doesn't sort of realize that. And also, I think people are attracted to outsourcing because of a price component. And so then it it can become a bit of a focus on price, whereas actually what you're looking for is quality and reliability and scalability and security, as you say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it is very hard, you know, and you're also seeing the, uh, I suppose, the evolution of the the gig workers, the freelancers, the Upwork people, where they sort of progress a little bit, and then they get one or two people beneath them. And then in essence, they are a staffing agency as well. So exactly. it's, it's very difficult to kind of develop know, quality standards. And But tell us about 24-7 VA, introduce yourself, give us the rundown, where are you as a okay. business now? And then what part of the market are you, are you focusing on?
1: Okay, so we focus on the small to medium size, small to smaller medium. So we run the gamut anywhere from solopreneurs to companies that are 100 to 150 employees. That's, you know, sort of our sweet spot. But we provide businesses with any skill set that can be done remotely. So, you know, they can't, they're not physically in, in the warehouses packing boxes, but Bookkeeping, web development, any type of backend admin test, sales, customer support, anything, you know, that the client comes to us. Um, we will create a job description. Uh, we have a pool of candidates at any point in time. Uh, you know, it's somewhere between 700 and a thousand. Uh, that are, are, have already been pre-vetted. We do skill assessments. We do background checks. So they've gone through our entire vetting process and they go into a, a pool of talent that are just waiting for a job opportunity. And so we match client job descriptions to that two pool of talent. And, and hopefully there's somebody that the client finds interesting. We facilitate the interviews. If that client decides to hire that, that worker, reports directly into that client or what we do is we're in the background we monitor the attendance we have a time tracking app we do the payroll processing some clients hire temporary seasonal some clients are attempt to perm so those clients that are more long-term we have an hr unit that will walk them through performance evaluations on an annual basis we do our finance team does cost of living Analysis. So that's a mandatory for permanent hire clients where the worker does get, if they're meeting expectations based on the performance review, they get the cost of living increase. Any type of bonuses or, or rate increases to the worker are all direct pass-throughs. We don't take any additional percentage like Upwork does. We don't do that. So it's all direct pass-throughs. Our agency fee is whatever was built into the initial rate. Right, right. Yeah. Definitely. So it's pretty simple. We do all the heavy lifting for the client and we help them on board and give them sort of a roadmap for success. Mm-hmm. And some clients thrive and they've grown from one VA to 15 to 20 VA teams. And other clients, it just doesn't work for. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I look at my own company as a testimonial. I started in 2014 with one VA. We now have 80 internal staff that run the operations and the marketing of the company. And we have over 300 virtual assistants working through our company for our clients. So I feel, yeah, I feel like I am, (laughs) I've done it myself. So I know it can be done for those small businesses that are looking to scale.
0: Yeah, of course. And congratulations. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible feat. And when you grow a big team as you have, like your own internal core team, do you continue to call them VAs or do you then sort of refer to them as, you know, this is the marketing department, this is content, this is operations?
1: Um, Yeah. So they're all departmentalized. They're considered staff. So they're not VAs. They're considered staff. We do have HR compliance. We have partnered with a third-party HR compliance company that helps us with if we need employer of record or if they really are contract workers, With they have localized. And because we're out, you know, we're not just Philippines, so they have localized contractor contracts in every country because every country is a little different with their contractor laws and what you need to have on file. So, Yeah. So, you know, it depends on whether or not their job function is something that really the company directs or whether they come to us and they have the skill set that we don't really direct them. So most of our marketing and IT, they're self-sufficient. We hire mm-hmm. them and they know what to do. But on the operations side where we have more control, that's where it the, the lines blur a little bit.
0: What do you find yeah. the differences between the clients that really thrive and prosper and, you know, go to 15, 20 staff and those that kind of, it doesn't work for them.
1: Yeah. You know, what I think it is, it's about on, you know, treating your offshore team as if they were onshore. So pulling them into your company and allowing them to prosper and be part of the company and interact with the other people in your company, I think is so critical. But too often I see clients that sort of, you know, they hire somebody and you're hired to do that, but they never integrated really in the company at all with the company holidays and everything that goes along with it. So that's one thing. Another thing is just giving the time for onboarding. Our onboarding, when we hire a staff person to come into the company, I already know this person is really going to be part of our operations. They need to learn what every department's doing. They need to understand the operation. So they have about a month onboarding process where they're really learning before I'm expecting them to to be able to fully function. And a lot of clients don't give that time period to be able to allow the, the worker to assimilate. You know, they're expecting them to be a freelancer and a contract worker, and I hired you to do this, and you should be able to do it day one. But, you know, it's not always, that that's, doesn't always work.
0: I read a book on outsourcing, and when I was trying to do the more actionable steps of how to run a team, I you very quickly realize it's just standard management principles. Like, There's no difference. You know, it's yeah. about delegation, it's about processes, it's about onboarding, it's about building culture and so i was kind of writing that thinking well this is just a standard management book which was not the intention of what i was writing so and the diff- there's few differences there are differences in terms of i would say like cultural nuances kind of communication differences the fact that you are remote so there's kind of different tool sets involved with that but you're right it, like most of the principles are actually just effective management isn't it and building structures and building an effective organization. And that, you know, that's not easy in itself, is it? But it's not unique to outsourcing.
1: No, it's not. And you mentioned a good thing. It's company culture. You know, having a company culture that's that allows somebody that is many miles of continents away to be able to integrate them into your team is so important.
0: And how do you find culture with you are a distributed workforce? How do you work on culture for your own organization? And then also with VAs, they're your team, but then they're also part of the client's team. So how do you manage those sort of cultural alignments?
1: Yeah. So it's hard. (laughs) It's hard because if, if you're local here and you're hiring people from your local environment, everybody sort of has the same thing. Like, you know, I'm in a small town in Ocean City, Maryland, so... You know, everybody sort of knows each other. If you were hiring, if you're a company in New York, you know, New Yorkers all sort of have this unique thing. But when you're pulling together people that are located in Pakistan, India, South Africa, Argentina, Philippines, and you're pulling them into a room together to talk to each other, it's hard because the cultural differences are huge. So in the Philippines, you know, with the Asian roots, they're very hierarchical work structure. So they're very, you know, very different from what an American mark, uh, yeah, American workers want to stand out. They want to put themselves out there as, you know, the person versus, you know, the Philippine culture that's really much more laid back. And no, I'm, I'm going to take direction from my supervisor. India, you've got a culture where they're very outspoken and they're, uh, they sort of get to the point immediately, whereas Filipino sort of has nicer language and they sort of go around things. So you put two, you put an Indian and a Filipino in a room, yeah. in a meeting room, you know, it's hard. And what I've taught my leadership team is you really have to practice active listening. Uh, listen to the person and try to understand that they are not you. And that they have different cultural norms than you do and that we're all there for the common purpose of moving the company in a better direction and finding a better solution. So if you, you keep that in the back of your mind and you give that training to your team, that what comes out of it is amazing because you've got, you get so many different perspectives. That it's almost, it's so much easier to come up with the best solution versus mm-hmm. this uni think where you all have the same perspective. But it's very difficult. It really is. And I struggle with it. I still struggle with it every day. Um, but I don't stop. I don't stop diversity hiring. You know, if I have one team that's all Filipino or one team that's all Indian or whatever, and those are our two biggest hubs. So, But I will force the managers, you know, to look outside the box. You know, why don't you look at this person? Why don't you not hire someone from the Philippines this time? Why don't you hire somebody from South Africa? You know, look. So it's hard. And it's all about mentoring and teaching. And I think that companies that do diversity hiring, really, they're better. You'll be better off for it.
0: You often get a lot of, I'm based in Manila, I've been here 10 years, and you get a lot of Australian clients coming to Manila to visit their teams, and Mm. they're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and very excited, and and they have this, with the best intentions, they're like, we're going to treat them identical to our Aussie team, we're going Mm. to completely integrate them, it's going to be basically just like Australia, and... It, it's also sort of the wrong approach because they're not Australians. They're Filipinos and they don't like coffee as much as Australians do. And it's not so much a flat structure. They prefer more of a traditional hierarchical structure. They yes. don't have the same confidence and, and sort of loud, outgoing personalities, different jokes. And, you know, you have to be sensitive towards those things, don't you? And, and it's sort of, it's this difficult balance between sort of treating everyone the same and homogeneity, yet... Acknowledging everyone is incredibly different and, and diverse. It's fascinating, but
1: yeah, yeah, it is. It, and it's yeah. a study.
0: You know, you've been in this ten <laughs> years, and I've, I've been here about ten years. It, it the the more you, it goes deeper and deeper, doesn't it? The longer you've been in it, and, and just sort of realizing the differences and how to work around them and work with them. It's fascinating.
1: Yeah, and it's great to see them all grow everybody grows together really because uh, everybody's learning from each other so everybody's taking the best things that they learn from all these different cultures and it's becoming a myth mi- i see my company becoming a mix
0: um, yeah yeah
1: where i do I often, have, I, yeah go ahead i
0: haven't said this publicly before but i realized you know you look at for example just choosing a sort of an example but a chinese immigrant into the u.s they maybe went over there when they were 20 and now they're 60 70 years old they're still different (laughs) you know what i mean and in a beautiful way like they're not an american in the traditional sense and they have been immersed in american culture living there for 40 50 years and yet they're still different and so it's funny when people you know maybe work with a filipino for a year and then they give them sort of some cultural training and say, "This is what Americans eat," and then expect them to be completely American kind of thing. You know, it, yeah, it, it takes no. years, doesn't it? You know, to yeah. well, and and then it doesn't even happen. It takes literally generations for people to completely change yeah. in terms of sort of culture, culture. Or
1: and it shouldn't happen. You should keep the best parts exactly. of your culture, and then internalize whatever you think the best parts of another culture are. It makes you a better individual. So, yeah. So,
0: so you've been 24-7 VA has been knocking it out of the park recently with awards, accolades. Do you want to tell us about some of those? And, we can, and then we can sort of let people know how they can get in touch. But you've been busy yeah. in the award department.
1: We have this year has been a big year for us. We've uh, made the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing American companies for the second year in a row. So that's a, that was a huge accolade. Then we, the Better Business Bureau here in the United States, you know, specifically our chapter here in the state of Maryland, we won the Torch Award for ethics, which means that we operate ethically. Our customers feel like we're a trustworthy business. So to me, that's very special. And then just last week, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Recognized us as one of America's top small businesses out of over 15,000 applications. We were one of 70 and one of 10 out of the Eastern region that was honored. Plus, with Outsource Accelerator, <laughs> we got on the top 500 BPO list with you and we're finalists or an honoree with the Impact uh, Awards, which is very near and dear to my heart because I'm all about helping U.S. small businesses, but it's also been, it's sort of, you know, a by mission uh, that I've always wanted to bring opportunities to world populations that otherwise wouldn't have those opportunities. And so we've done a couple of impact staffing projects, one in South Africa, where we had a cohort of young women that we started through an eight week training course and we partnered with a nonprofit there and a technology center. Uh, to give mm-hmm. these women jobs, so that was very special, and we are now partnering in Argentina with the Argentina Telehealth Association and a for-profit company, Remote AR, at just spreading awareness in the Latin American countries that you can have uh, that online jobs do exist and they are real, and that you can have a career, yeah. you know, yeah. working remotely
0: fantastic stuff i mean congratulations for all of those awards and also for the better business bureau i don't know a lot about the us but i have heard of the better business bureau it's highly esteemed and uh, for you to get a, in a category of ethics which i think is just so important for the outsourcing industry to be associated with ethics because i think you know just people associated with slave labor it's the furthest thing from the truth it's so oh, it's, it's ridiculous further. and this is why it's- it's crazy, isn't it? I think everyone outside yeah. of outsourcing sees it as slave labor, and then everyone insourcing, in outsourcing mm-hmm. sees the incredible good that this industry does for the economy. It, it's just so powerful, isn't it? Mm-hmm.
1: It's very powerful. And we do local labor rate analyses. You know, our workers are paid at the top percentages of what labor rates are in the different regions. So we're very particular for that. And our rates may not, we're not the cheapest out there. Like you were talking about earlier, that sometimes clients are very price driven. And so the new entrants to the market have very low prices. So we pay our workers correctly. And they're very happy for what they're being paid. And it still is a huge de- reduction off of U- US labor rates for businesses.
0: Yeah, it's a win-win, isn't it? Which is great. Thank you yep. so much, Catherine. Amazing. Congratulations on the almost 10-year journey now and 24-7 VA. If people want to get in touch and to you know have a chat to you and see how it can transform their business, how can they do that?
1: Well, our biggest way you can get in touch with us is our website, which is twenty four seven v a and I don't I know that we don't normally spell this out, but our name is unique because it's not the numbers two four seven it's actually the number twenty and then you spell out four then the number seven, and then v is in virtual a is as an assistant dot com We're also on all the social media channels linkedin facebook twitter, so yeah please reach out to us with a handle of 24-7 VA.
0: That was Catherine Van Vono of 24-7 VA. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, just send us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.